It's just the cost of doing business. We can facilitate sex trafficking, drug money laundering, bribing through our our, our institution, our monetary rails, but we'll just pay a small fine, which is a small portion of our overall profit, and we're good to go. It's a two-tier justice system operated by criminals. The amount of power the government has at the end of the day, if enough people speak out and push back, they, they will cower like the cowards they are if enough people push back. We really need this people in the silent majority that may be listening to this or other shows to like stop being a p recognize that they're using fear to try to get you to act a certain way, which means that they've lost control of something, which means that they are weak. You would be extremely surprised at the power that the silent majority speaking up could have over these people. And again, it's asking for permission. Like we shouldn't have to ask for permission if we truly believe that America has these principles that are enshrined in the constitution uh, and the bill of rights. Like you, don't, you shouldn't be asking the government for permission for any of this. Like they are supposed to work for us. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. We're live here in the comments. Welcome, everyone. Talking to Marty Ben, the Marty Ben. We will win. We are going to win. I'm stoked about that. I'm stoked about it because in this day and age, it's very easy to be swayed into this negativity mindset. And I'm guilty of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the way kind of you portray that. And um, yeah, I think it's important. No matter what happens at the end, you're always like, yeah, we will win. It might take time, but we will win. It's always about channeling that anger and then, uh, and then remembering that you're going to win. So you have to be angry. Yeah, you don't have to be angry, but you have to channel that energy in a good way. Yeah, well, I think that's something, I don't know, where we grew up, I feel like you get exposed to that <laughs> quite a bit. The Philly, Jersey, Northeast, New York City style in general, it's it's very much so like that, but it's I think that's what makes that area prosper so well. I agree. And I think it's probably why I grok Bitcoin so early, because being from Philly particularly, I was born in the city, went to high school in the city. It's a very no bullshit culture and there's a lot of bullshit in the traditional financial and banking industry. And when I found Bitcoin, I was like, oh, this is a no bullshit solution to the problems that have become very apparent to me personally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, at least for me, I, I kind of grew up in that sense. It was like I needed to find this stuff out myself. So it has it, made me skeptical, but then it made me realize that I needed to just go and do the research and then realize that this was the solution or this was an alternative to the current problems. Yeah. What led you to that? Um, Really, it was, I mean, I first got into crypto in college just because of the tech of it. And then I started really just getting more into decentralization from a health perspective because of I had one too many concussions in college and I did as well yeah there we go <laughs> um just couldn't do shit for over a year 
Really? And uh, yeah, went to your neurologist. That Did you get post-traumatic? Yeah, yeah. I have or that Post-concussive one. syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, I did the whole acute phase wrong. I got it and then went home and drank and skied. And then, <laughs> yeah, went to neurologist three months later. They're like, oh, well, good news. You have a concussion. We know it's wrong. But I was like, sweet. And then what, what can I do about it? And they were like, um, just take it easy. So that was frustrating. But I'm glad that happened because it was the inflection point of my life. And um yeah, it was, uh, then you get down the rabbit hole, you're like, wow, this whole health system is fucked up. And eventually you realize the importance of individual sovereignty. And be, I really just really valued the being in the driver's seat of my life. And I was already into crypto and Bitcoin mostly, but still shitcoining. And then 2020 happened and it was maxi life from there. And then I realized, I was like, wow, I'm passionate about these things for the same exact reason. Mm-hmm. And that's why I ended up writing that book. Yeah. So that's funny. The uh, my last concussion, I think it changed me too. So I've had six pretty bad ones. I got post traumatic concussion syndrome in eighth grade. Uh, after a concussion, I got on the basketball court. Last one was playing lacrosse and got hit so hard. Yeah, I got knocked out on the field, pissed myself, and um, that was my freshman year of college. That was right before I found Bitcoin up to that point like sports was a, a massive part of my life and after that last concussion I was like all right um got to take a step back and um I do think that like affected my brain too oh yeah um yeah in a big way yeah it's hard to even if you do like I did the recovery all after you know the year of messing everything up I'd been dialed in from a health perspective but there's still for sure lasting lasting things that you just notice you're more sensitive but yeah, sports, man. That was my life as well because I played soccer college and, I mean, just our area that's like sports is the culture, I feel like. Yeah, how'd you get, how'd you get your last concussion? I actually wasn't soccer related. I just like was at a concert, passed out, hit my head, didn't know I did, and then that's why I didn't know what I did everything wrong in the next two, three weeks. Yeah. So, but I don't know, I'm still a big fan of sports, you know, teach that self-discipline. That's why I work hard and, you know, I learn a lot of respect, but I even saw the transition from like when I was a senior and I had freshman incoming in both high school and then in college, the freshmen were just like, so they just didn't respect authority. <laughs> they didn't respect hard work and the coaching, I think, sure there was in that transition i was like the last years of of where before everything really hit the fan and now i don't even know are they allowed to like even you know make you run and and call you names for fucking up <laughs> no we had i mean at my high school i think lacrosse coach was actually there when i was a fresh freshman through junior year he left my senior year but then came back to the program it's funny you bring this up because there's actually like a life lesson that he taught us uh, the lacrosse team uh, I remember vividly one off-season practice. We were uh, doing like sprints on the roof of our school, which is like a dual playground slash workout area. And very few kids showed up to like the the workout, and he got all pissed off. And he sat like the seven of us who showed up in a circle and gave us a massive speech on capitalism and oh. what it takes to like succeed in this world. And that was pivotal for me. But like, there was one line that actually like applies to Bitcoin in that is like, as a team, we're only going to be as strong as our weakest link. Like, even if you're a bench player, you have to know what to do when you get on the field and how to participate in practice. And that's always, I think that is, uh, we don't have to tie everything to Bitcoin, but it is something I do think about a lot as it pertains to Bitcoin. Like, 
the network's only as strong as its weakest link in the chain. I mean, there's obviously a pun with the blockchain, but when you think about the network overall, like what are the areas that are weak right now? And one that we've been talking about a lot recently on Rabbit Hole Recap is like mining pool layer. I think that's a, a weak link in the chain right now that luckily more pools like Demand and Ocean are coming to market to try to fix that problem in their own ways. A lot of people have problems with particular implementations, particularly Ocean, but I, I do like to see that people are trying to like strengthen those links in the, the chain of the Bitcoin industry. Yeah, maybe talk about that a little bit. I don't know how familiar my audience is with mining pool dynamics, but it seems like it's definitely, it's it's the central, it's kind of centralized uh, at a high level and there's, yeah, there's a lot of improvements to be had. Yeah, so I, th- I guess let's take a step back. What are mining pools generally? Um, so if you're a Bitcoin miner, uh, you're taking out a lot of upfront capital to buy the machines yeah. and lock down the power. And then you have ongoing costs at the monthly power bill. And so what you want to reduce is your payout variance risk. And if you're an individual miner that plugs in 3A6, the probability of you finding a block is extremely low. And so mining pools... Uh, came to the market, I believe, around like 2012, 2013, maybe even earlier, maybe like 2011, Slush. wasn't called Slush at the time. It was the first mining pool. Mining pools came to market to solve this problem of variance risk for miners and when they receive their their reward payouts. And what you do is you take your ASICs and you point that hash at a mining pool. The mining pool aggregates a bunch of hash rate and then eventually an individual miner in that pool finds the hash that allows uh, a new block to be added to the ledger and they get the reward and that reward is divvied up amongst all the individual miners contributing hash rate to that pool commensurate with their percentage of the overall hash rate of the pool. Um, so it solves a very big problem for individual miners, particularly smaller miners, which is variance risk. Um, but that aggregation of hash rate does bring with it some centralization risk and historically uh, that has been in the form of block construction so you aggregate all this hash rate at a pool but the pool uh, up until recently does the block construction they they pull pick the transactions from the mempool and put it in the block and then broadcast it to the network so historically individual miners haven't had the ability to do that so you're essentially trusting that the mining pool will do a number of things find uh transactions that'll reap you the the most benefit in the form of transaction fees uh and then um as an overall network hope that the mining pool doesn't censor individual transactions hey friend thanks for listening if you really enjoy this podcast it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on spotify apple or subscribe to our content on youtube this helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. And obviously, Marathon came out a few years ago and said they were going to begin censoring uh, OFAC uh, transactions uh, coming from addresses included on the OFAC list. Uh, they backed up from that F2 pool a couple of weeks ago. It became apparent that they were actually censoring those transactions. They backed up from that, but still, even though these guys have backed up from it, that risk still exists. Uh, solutions to this problem or something like stratum v2 which is a new mining pool protocol that enables individual miners within a mining pool to construct their own blocks uh, demand 
pool, which launched uh, Alejandro de Torre. It was formerly at F2 pool, launched that a couple of weeks ago. They're going to be leveraging Stratum V2 and giving that block construction back to individual miners, which is a big step. Uh, another centralizing factor of this mining pool uh, architecture, I guess you can say, is the payouts themselves, the way the treasury is handled. Um, essentially, the mining pool is holding a bunch of Bitcoin. And even though you mine a certain block and get a reward, from that block commensurate with your hash rate, uh, most of the time the Bitcoin isn't coming from that that block you mine. It's coming from the mining pool's treasury, and so that creates mm. a regulatory attack vector. Yeah. It seems like the Treasury Department here in the United States is beginning to hone in on that. They wrote a letter last week to the House uh, Financial Services Committee, basically saying we want to designate full node operators and mining pool operators as financial institutions that have to follow the laws of the Bank Secrecy Act, which will come with a bunch of KYC, AML. Uh, and so that's one problem. Ocean Pool uh, that Luke Dasher uh, launched last week is yeah. trying to solve where they do the payouts from the Coinbase. And so they actually never touch. Uh, the idea is that they'll never touch the first block they mine. They messed this up, but I think they fixed it. Um, you'll mine the block and then the reward will be distributed to the miners directly from the Coinbase transaction. Um, there's Logan calling me. I got it, Logan. Um, I, I needed help setting this up. Uh, and so yeah, the, 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 uh, going back to how we started this, like the weakest point in the chain, weakest link in the chain, historically has been mining pools, in my opinion. Um, yeah. because they're pivotal to ensuring that Bitcoin um, is able to operate smoothly and efficiently. And they have these sort of architecture designs that leave them vulnerable to regulatory tax. Yeah, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. I saw all those announcements and thought it was really exciting. I didn't realize the regulatory pressure was was coming in that regard. But yeah, if you give them any wiggle room to try and come in and and take some mind space in terms of regulation and yeah, privacy, they're probably going to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and it's going to be a battle moving forward too. Who knows if Ocean or Demand Pool will be successful? I've talked to some people about other unique designs that they want to bring to market over the next couple of years. I'm optimistic that the problem will be solved, but I do think there should be uh, more urgency uh, from Bitcoiners to to recognize this because here in the United States, largest pool here, Foundry, they're fully KYC AML wow. compliant. Um, and that could be a massive attack vector if the government's able to just go to pools and say, hey, you can't allow these transactions to be included in blocks that you guys buy. And that's a big problem. So the idea is how do you design a mining pool that it makes it impossible for this regular, they, they can't even control it. Um, and again, there's people working on on that problem. That's good. I feel like... Bitcoin to solve any problem. It's just, yeah, where the priority is lying. And yeah, if there's some pressure and realization, then it'll move up in the well, I think the pressure list. is the most important yeah. thing. That's the way Bitcoin's historically advanced from a technological and adversarial design perspective as you reach these limits, whether it's the fee market and Segway getting adopted. That really, that issue got forced when the fee pressure was rising in 2015, 2016, 2017 pressure got so immense that um, people decided, all right, let's 
uh, implement SegWit. Um, and I think it will be similar here. Like the pressure will be obvious that the governments are looking at target mining pools and it's like, all right, pressure's going up. How do we design a way out of this? What else do you think is a, a concern or a weak link that especially going into a, a likely bull run could be exacerbated and, and brought to the forefront? Well, I, I think um, <coughs> taking the bull run, potential bull run into consideration, that's like the trap I think a lot of Bitcoiners can fall into this cycle is uh, I think what's been happening over the last nine months, particularly with the ETF filings and comments and inevitable approval that I think will likely come in the next three or four months uh, is that Bitcoiners are very bullish on this and I understand why and I'm bullish on it too when you understand what it means for the amount of capital inflow that it'll open up but I, I do think it could be somewhat of a bait and switch where you have BlackRock go through this process and others go through this process get approved um, in parallel you have the treasury writing these suggestions really talking poorly about self-custody and open source wallet software um, that doesn't have KYC AML information attached to it. Yet Jamie Dimon on Capitol Hill earlier this morning saying that the government um, should fully ban cryptocurrencies because they enable money laundering and crime, which is bullshit. Um, and you could easily see a scenario in which the ETF gets approved and that is massively bullish for the price of Bitcoin, the price rips. Um, but after that, shortly after that, uh, the government comes in and says, all right, you're, you can get exposure to Bitcoin, but the only way in which you can do it is via these regulated institutions. If you hold it uh, in a self-custodial wallet, you are now a criminal. Like you need to hold your Bitcoin via these state-approved entities. You think that would actually get a lot of support on the Hill currently? Yeah. Yeah. These people are criminals there. Yeah. Yeah, that they want to control this stuff, and that's that the easiest way for them to control it. That would be a big one, and that's uh, and that's the big problem that's going to happen. Yeah. Is the price is going to be ripping? People are insanely rich, and there's going to be that ethical dilemma that people are faced with. Like, wow, I just got richer than I ever thought I could possibly be. Like, will I bend the knee and like I'll be able to live my life in relative comfort because I'm so rich and I can just pay for things? Um, or are you going to recognize? Are you going to? go the hard route which is like no you're not corrupting my ability to access bitcoin in a way that is sovereign and outside of the all-seeing eye of the state to me i always thought that something like that was still like you know five to ten years kind of out and we would have more time to build the circular economy you know figure out ways whether it's via coin mixing or what have you to get more non-kyc bitcoin so that would i mean that would be i think such a detriment and yeah it would put a lot of people in probably uncomfortable positions have they are they already kind of have talked about coin mixing potentially being like on some barred list right because i would almost think that that would be the first step as opposed to just going right to self-custody wallets. Yeah, they're certainly coming after that. Obviously, Tornado Cash um, and Bitfog are the big headlines in this particular story right now. Um, Tornado Cash over on Ethereum, it's what they did. There's a couple of their developers, their founders in jail right now. And then with Bitfog, you have their founder, or not even their founder, they're claiming that he's the founder. And this guy's saying, it seems pretty evident via chain analysis that he's not, but they're trying to claim that he is. 
um, in jail, and it all stems from the fact that these people, not in the Bitfog case, but in the Tornado Cash case, they built something that allows people to uh, give themselves privacy as they transact because these ledgers are transparent and you can use heuristics um, to sort of guess who owns what um, UTXO and what address. Um, yeah, so like, coin mix like so that's the other thing too there's very nuanced discussion around this because coin mixing is different than something like coin join yeah where coin mixing with centralized mixers like you send your bitcoin to a third-party operator that has a treasury of bitcoin you send it to them and they send you some other bitcoin and they tell you like hey i'm not gonna tell the state that you gave me this and i gave you that um but that mechanism of having that central third party in the middle of that mixing uh, flow is a central point of failure. Uh, and at the end of the day, the state can go to these mixtures and be like, all right, give me all your backend data and then um, tie IP addresses to address addresses on the Bitcoin network and so forth and so on. Uh, and that compared to CoinJoin, which is just literally like a Bitcoin transaction um, uh, structure where you just engage in a bitcoin transaction you send bitcoin alongside a bunch of other individuals who are sending the same amount of bitcoin and then you receive that same amount of bitcoin minus the fees in an address and because you're doing a multi-input multi-output transaction it's hard for them to track that and so that you're literally not uh, mixing something in a central third party you're sending a bitcoin transaction that happens to have other inputs in it um, which is completely uh, common on the Bitcoin network exchanges batch transactions all the time individuals batch transactions so it's just a, a batch transaction of equal inputs that, that lead to equal outputs as well to give people more privacy at the end of the day and the assumption by the state is that everybody's guilty until proven innocent if you're doing that you're trying to um, hide something from the state but it's really nonsensical when you think about it, just due to the transparency of the Bitcoin network it is insane to think that people wouldn't want privacy. Like if I'm spending Bitcoin at uh, a merchant, I don't want that merchant to know my whole stash. Like, so having the ability to sort of uh, destroy the, the chain history and heuristics that would tie uh, an individual Bitcoin transaction with your whole stack makes a lot of sense and something that people should be able to do. Is there anything else in the privacy space that's kind of in development in the works besides coin? Coin joining, obviously, probably the strongest one right now and one I've learned the most about. But I mean, Lightning compared to on chain Bitcoin transactions, it's not a perfect privacy solution, but it's certainly an improvement on privacy, inherent privacy on Lightning protocol is significantly better than, than on chain. Obviously, there's heuristics can be used there from node probing and route probing that can degrade your privacy. But uh, out of the box, I think it's a superior privacy solution. And on top of that, you have things like Chalmy Mints coming to market via the Fetty Mint protocol. And those are, once you're in the Mint, it's extremely private. It is a federated setup. Um, so you go into a Chalmy Mint, uh, a federation, and that federation is controlled by a number of entities who control the keys and sign the transactions. Um, so there's a bit of a centralization custodial risk there, but it's distributed custody, which is less of a risk than going to something like Coinbase. But once you're in the Mint, and even though 
these federation members are signing transactions. They know transactions are going on. They don't know who's sending what to who. Um, at the end of the day, they can see amounts, but they don't know where the amounts are coming from. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really concerning. I'm curious. I wonder if there's anything that could be done <laughs> at the state level. And something I think about as well is I talked, I think, a little bit with Will is that I feel like the division between states is just going to continue to increase. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there will be like well, Texas, Wyoming will hopefully be on the right side of Bitcoin thinking that that will attract more people. So yeah, man, we've already seen that. Yeah. And that's a, it's funny because historically Bitcoiners talk about this concept of jurisdictional arbitrage in the context of international jurisdictional arbitrage, but it, the beauty of the United States and um, the fact that there are people fighting for the federalist free state, autonomous state ideals that the country was founded on is that you have this jurisdictional arbitrage on a smaller scale uh, between states as well here in the United States, which I think is beautiful. And Wyoming, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Tennessee, they're all coming out and uh, really positioning themselves as people who are willing, states that are willing to do business with Bitcoiners and to, um, to play nice with miners and respect the individual citizens within their states and their rights to acquire, hold, and use Bitcoin, which is great to see. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the New York states um, of the world, which are going in the complete opposite direction with the bit license and the moratorium on mining that they put in recently. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good, to be honest. I hope the states can lean into that kind of uh, power that they have. And... Yeah, I mean, obviously we're in those states, so we're we're in the right places, but it just seems like it's going to be a weird dynamic. And then now Bitcoiners obviously very bullish on just the fact that there's some countries that they could always go to. And I'm not a huge fan of jumping ship, but... Yeah, I'm not a black... I'm not a fan of the black flag theory or the flag theory, whatever it's called. <laughs> flag theory. Um, I want to stay on my ground. Yeah. Because uh, again... I just was on another podcast earlier, like that something I have always believed and I'm beginning to really get louder about is like these like we need the silent majority that know things are completely messed up and understand that the government is corrupt and the central banks are corrupt and yet they self censor themselves and don't speak out. These people need to begin speaking out because we are at a critical turning point in human history and a critical turning point, particularly here in the United States, as the government loses control of their debt situation. They lose control of speech. Um, they are aggressively beginning to clamp down to, to basically affect that control via force. And it could get really ugly if people don't speak up and basically take their rights. Matt says this all the time on Rabbit Hole Recap, and I think it's something that people really need to internalize, that rights aren't given to you. They are taken and defended. And when it comes to Bitcoin, here in the United States particularly, like we need, we have taken our... Our, our rights to self-custody and using Bitcoin and developing payments technologies to uh, realize the utility of the Bitcoin network in a really good way so far. But again, the cow towing to the regulatory landscape is something I think is just a terrible miscalculation. We need to be uh, going in the opposite direction and really taking the fight to 
the regulators in the state and highlighting that these people are criminals. When you talk about like Jamie Dimon, today was on Capitol Hill saying that you should ban cryptocurrencies because it facilitates money laundering. It's like this dude, literally his bank paid a $75 million fine three months ago, a settlement fine um, for facilitating Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking operation for 15 years. Like he paid a $75 million settlement to uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands that brought the case against him. And that is an omission of guilt. Like, they say you wouldn't settle if you weren't guilty. Like, he essentially admitted, yes, my bank facilitated money laundering on behalf of Jeffrey Epstein and sex trafficking operation for 15 years. Here's $75 million. I don't want to go to court because if we go to court, that means we have to go to discovery. And if we go to discovery, that means the public's going to see how we did this exactly. So Jamie Dimon today was projecting the criminal activity that him and his bank uh, engage in on a day-to-day, year-to-year, decade-to-decade basis and projecting that onto Bitcoin, which is a small fraction of the amount of money that is laundered via the U.S. dollar system. And the Pentagon just failed at six audit in a row. It can't account for $3.8 trillion worth of taxpayer money that has been given over the last six years. The CIA, they have a black box, black box budget. Tucker Carlson was talking about this on a podcast a few weeks ago, I forget exactly which one, but he was like, I live next to CIA agents. They're supposed to be government employees making maybe 150, 200 grand a year, and they had million dollar houses. Like, they're just getting these black budgets, and then they're going in, uh, basically, the inciting coups in foreign countries that are against the, um, that are against the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the just the the dollar well, system, right? So like it's against the uh, the interests of U.S. citizens, right? And like at the end of the day, they just go piss people off by cooing ah, yeah. other countries, and they get mad at us, and they look at America, U.S. citizens, and think we're all bad people. Like they're not good representatives of us. So the COVID lockdowns, like that was one of the biggest crimes in human history. The vaccine rollout and the propaganda around that. And you're gonna have a winter of death if you don't take this jab. You find out nine months later, oh, the jab didn't pre- prevent uh, didn't prevent you from getting it or spreading it, and actually, hey, it may be killing a bunch of people. Like these people are criminals, and we shouldn't be kowtowing to them um, to let them take the rights that we've fought for and are defending with Bitcoin. Uh, we shouldn't give up those rights and any control over Bitcoin to these uh, abject criminals. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. And I wrote about all that in my book, like the statistics on fines paid by banks. It's like billions and billions of dollars yeah. since 2000 alone. And at JP Morgan's paid close to 40 billion yeah. in fines. Yeah, I think like top. And that's five just the cost of like doing 200. business. Yeah, like their profits far exceed those fine numbers, and it's just the cost of doing business. We can facilitate sex trafficking, drug money laundering, um, bribing. Uh, through our, our our institution, our monetary rails, but we'll just pay a small fine, which is a small portion overall overall profit, and we're good to go. It's a two tier justice system, operated by criminals. Like, this, like we should not be kowtowing to criminals. If you're a health conscious food consumer who's also very active, you know how big of a struggle it is to find a bar that is both convenient and nutrient dense. That's why I was so excited when I discovered the Alpha Bar. 
The Alpha Bar is a meat-based bar that contains only simple ingredients, 100% grass-fed beef, tallow, and honey, and is both nutrient-dense and convenient and packs a caloric punch of over 300 calories. For me, this was a game changer and is now the go-to snack and fuel source I use when I'm hiking, camping, hunting, skiing, or doing anything in the outdoors and I don't have the resources to cook a full meal. The Alpa Bar is made proudly in Colorado and only uses locally sourced meat. JJ and Rob are also extremely based and accept Bitcoin for payment. I highly recommend you check out the Alpa Bar for any time you need a nutrient-dense and convenient snack on the go. Check them out at eatalpa.com and use code DRADIO5 at checkout to get a 5% discount. And if you pay in Bitcoin, you can get an additional discount on top of that. That's eataupa.com and use code DRADIO5 at checkout. Yeah, and Fauci, vaccines, I mean, big pharma, like... It just goes on and on. And now, I mean, it's weird because now, like, I feel like a lot of people know this stuff, but they're still, they're kind of stuck. And you would say probably, and Vivek or Vivek, however his name is, already said that. It's like, he thinks like 70, 80% of people probably agree on a lot of things in the U.S. And they wouldn't want these freedoms taken away. But a lot of them, they're just stuck. So how, what do you think about like how... You know how to reach more people and how this is all going to play out in terms of really trying to empower those individuals to come on come on our side so they can have an escape plan yeah it's all uh, a state it's a mentality right it's you got to change your mentality and i think the 70 to 80 percent of people that likely agree and don't want these rights taken away they're afraid because the government is very effective of using fear-based campaigns whether it's climate change covid lockdowns uh we got to bail out the banks or you're not going to have cash at the atms next wednesday and they just use this these fear-mongering tactics um that really create uh an immense amount of leverage from them to project power onto the populace and that's leverage like there's a lot of air between um, what they like the actual power that they do have and uh, the leverage that they use via fear like I think people need to realize when they are they have their reptilian fear sensors being triggered by politicians and central bankers uh, in a way that is to produce a certain outcome recognize that they're being fear-mongered and realize that, oh, why are they fear-mongering? They want me to do something. Why do they want me to do something? It's because they've lost control of something. So they really don't have control. And they use fear to basically force that control and some force people to act in a way that will give them that control for a little bit longer. And that's what I think really drives the silent majority and the fact that they don't speak up is that they fear that the government backlash will be severe, but they severely overestimate the amount of power the government has at the end of the day, if enough people speak out and push back, they, they will cower like the cowards they are if enough people push back. And that's one thing, again, I was saying it earlier on another podcast, I'll reiterate it here. We really need this people in the silent majority that may be listening to this or other shows to like stop being a pussy, recognize that they're using fear to try to get you to act a certain way which means that they've lost control of something, which means that they are weak. And you would be extremely surprised at the power that the silent majority speaking up could have over these people. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, 
don't know what was happening. Monday, I was boar hunting with my friend, and there's like 200 vultures. I was like, dude, if they attacked all of us, or us all at once, we would be fucked. Like, they would kill us. But they don't think they can. They don't know they can. And it's like the power in numbers really is strong, but it's like you don't know it's there. And I think about it from a health perspective because that's where, you know, I spend all my time kind of researching, educating, and just talking about it with Jimmy this morning is, you know, everyone's so low dopamine, you know, just by design. They're docile. They're unhealthy. They're so reliant on the centralized system that it's like they just they couldn't fathom breaking out of that until they really like something really bad happens or they just you know have had a breaking point and had enough yeah and that's i mean and anybody out there listening is saying to themselves yeah i am in the silent majority i'm a bit of a pussy i'm not speaking up i know it's wrong (laughs) and i probably should say something that's you have to internalize you have like you either speak up now and take care of it or you let the problem get worse and the it, it will explode implode at some point in the future and the ramifications of that implosion will be far more severe than the ramifications of you growing a pair of nuts and speaking up right now like you, we need to nip this stu- stuff in the butt as quickly as possible um and i mean we're beginning to see the signs of things breaking and that pressure being put on individuals that is leading them to become under immense amount of stress in the form of inflation. I mean, it's becoming very obvious that the American consumer and the individuals around the world are, are really feeling the pain of inflation and um, it could get much worse if we allow the governments to keep printing money, issuing debt and pushing us down this road to ruin. Um, I think I'm an accelerationist where it's like, let's the sooner, the better, the sooner, the better, like, let's face this problem. Now it's going to, it's certainly like, it's not going to be painless if we face it now, but it's going to be certainly less painful than it would be if we faced it in the future. Rip the bandaid off. That's interesting. I mean, I think you could go either way, but it needs to happen for sure. And posting about on TikTok how much your groceries cost, like it's not going to help anybody Everyone knows things are getting more expensive. Maybe think about well, it, you know. That, well, that, I, I, to that point, I, I do think that is a good sign and a good trend. I guess if people are complaining and Complain, they're aware and they know there's a problem, the pot. you get to fix the problem, you got to know it exists in the first place. Yeah. And more and more people true. are becoming aware. And that is like an example of somebody speaking up like, hey, I'm mad as hell. I'm working hard. I did what I was told to do. I went to high school. I got a good GPA. I did, got mm-hmm. a good score on the SATs. Uh, what is the other one? The GM2 or whatever. ACT. ACT. <laughs> I got into a good school. I got a good degree. And all I'm left with is a shit ton of debt and a job uh, that doesn't pay me enough money. Yeah. And you were lied to. We were lied to our whole lives <laughs> like as millennials. And I think people are realizing that. There, you know, less people are going to school. More people are kind of realizing that, you know, trades are, are pretty lucrative they actually contribute value to society but it's still slow and there's still so much of so many of these stigmas i think that it's it's tough because you're just we're so programmed socially from like yeah like literally our whole lives right it's just yeah go to school go to high school get good grades go to college get a job and save your money if you can that's it (laughs) 
that's the key to to success in life. And for me, it was just I saw that firsthand, and I got an engineering degree. So I was like, wow, I'm actually, you know, I can pay for this debt. Imagine if I had like a liberal arts degree. I mean, it wouldn't be possible. And then I saw my dad, who's also an engineer, still struggling, not struggling, like lower, super low class, paycheck to paycheck, but not being financially comfortable and still having to work really, really hard in his 60s to just get by. Yeah. And that's that's another problem we face too, is the sunk cost fallacy of this dream we were fed growing up. Because there's a lot of people, particularly in our generation, the millennial generation, um, that don't want to believe they've been lied to their whole lives. And so you have this cohort. It's so true. Of millennials that have gone through this, they have all this debt, they're doing it. Uh, even though they're feeling the pain of inflation, they don't want to admit to themselves that they were duped because nobody wants to do that. And everybody likes to think of themselves as logical first principles thinker who can recognize when they're being conned um, and uh, for people really to confront the systemic issues that we have in our society, they have to admit that they were conned and they were lied to their whole lives and they fell for it, which is a lot of pride to swallow, um, but it's something that is completely necessary. Um, yeah, you see that with the any of the pro-vax community. I feel like the only reason they're still like that is because they just they can't be wrong at this point. Like it's way too much. Well, you think about that sunk cost fallacy. I mean, they're pro-vax and they actually went through with it and got it. They have that yeah. subconscious underlying feeling. Like, oh fuck, did I just inject myself with poison? Like, and they, it's literally like a survival thing. Like, I need this to be right so that I don't die. But, but I think the right <laughs> thing to do for us is like the hardest thing to do is not gloat. Like, not. Yeah. It, we need to be welcoming. And so I post a lot about. I'm like, hey, if you got. I mean, pretty much all my family did multiple times, and it that bothers me um, subconsciously. And I'm like, hey, what? Can, here's what you can do if you did like to just be healthier and be more resilient, and you know, know for the next time. And this is like the proof that nobody talks about. Here's some, you know, medicinal compounds you could use. And obviously that's what folks like Peter McCullough have been doing as well. Because yeah, a lot of people out there, they're probably scared and they don't know what to do. And if you just kind of harp on them with this fear mongering from the other side, that's not good either. No, no, we need, yes, we, sh- grace needs to be shown. Like even though these people were calling us murders and, um, uh, preventing us from attending family events and, uh, social events publicly because uh, we did not get the jab like that like going back to what I was saying earlier like these people have been duped uh, we uh, up until a certain point I was duped and you have to have compassion and especially somebody who was in those shoes before before really recognizing that the world wasn't what I was told it was like they're going through that process themselves mm-hmm. and so showing some compassion be like hey like I know you said all this and prevented me from coming to Thanksgiving, but like, I love you. I, I, it is evil what these people have done, not only to you, but to society more generally, like, um, get out of the sunk cost fallacy. Like you don't have to hang on to this. Like we need to begin taking our rights back and getting the central government out of our life as quickly as possible. Yeah. So I'm assuming from your opinion, typically that I've heard, you're in the camp that this is not going to be changed at all in the political level. And no. even though we have a couple more candidates talking about this, like this really needs to come from within. And then therefore, hopefully long-term, we can just shrink government um, kind of out of a hole. Yeah, hopefully it just we just starve it and it 
shrivels on the vine and dies and falls into the soil. But yeah, no, I, I truly don't believe. I mean, the political apparatus that's been erected, particularly here in the United States, over the course of the last 250 years, like it, it's a bureaucratic morass um, that unless you're came up in that system and know how to operate in it and play the dirty politics, like you're not going to change it. And again, it's asking for permission. Like we shouldn't have to ask for permission if we truly believe that America has these principles that are enshrined in the constitution uh, and the bill of rights. Like you, you, don't, you shouldn't be asking the government for permission for any of this. Like they are supposed to work for right. us. Yeah. And, uh, and again, it's a mental thing, just switching that, like having the confidence and you know, people think I'm crazy. Like, oh, like the U.S. government's so strong. Like, they they project. They it's a Wizard of Oz man behind the curtain. These people are literally weak. They're old. Um, they're out of their depths from a technological perspective. They're out of their depths from um, like a interpersonal perspective. They don't care about you, and you shouldn't care about them. Uh, and when it comes to routing around the political process. I mean, Bitcoin's a perfect example. It's open source software. Like we don't need to ask permission for them to fix things. We can literally build our way out of this. And then you combine that with other open source softwares and projects and uh, in the digital age, like you can literally build the solutions that allow you to detach yourself from the control of the state. Um, and many people take this as a radical view, like, no, we need to do this in a democratic way. Like, I think you people are just extremely naive um, to think that. It sounds nice, right? Yeah, it's, but yeah. it's, I don't think it's... Voting harder is it, not going to change it, this. It doesn't do... It, well, voting right now does absolutely nothing in general. The only, <laughs> and I always talk about the probably the most influence you have in modern society today is just like purchasing power, where you spend your dollars Yeah, or Bitcoin. And that's the... Um, Many Bitcoiners, their view is that, yeah, we just need to wait for Bitcoin to hit a certain price and then we can just buy all the politicians. We become the lobbies that uh, dictate the laws. But that's like, I view that almost as like turning into the monster you're trying to run away. Yeah, from. right. That's, um, and you're just doing the same thing yeah. in a different different outfit. Yeah, that's, I mean, just putting in this historical context of humanity, like it's, we're at this inflection point in human history where we're transitioning into the digital age that's going to come with a lot of volatile change and to think that we're going to operate on the same governance structures that uh, existed uh, pre-industrial, industrial age in the digital age, I think it's just, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, information moves too fast. People are too connected. We have much better solutions. Like government exists to solve problems, but because of the internet, open source software uh, and communications technology, like we don't need that central point to coordinate like we can coordinate ourselves outside of dc yeah yeah and the internet has really accelerated that right and that's the only reason we know a lot of this if we were still kind of in the paper print era we we wouldn't even think that the government lies to us i know that was like a big deal whenever that first happened in like the mid 20th century and do you think that the structure you're saying going back like 250 years is is the real issue just from the start because I think there's some validity there and folks like Thomas Jefferson, you know, right after the U.S. is created, there was all these battles, right? And then they just wanted to do all this centralized nonsense. And yeah, I feel like it's been an ongoing battle for a lot, for the whole entirety of this country. And then really, obviously, 1913, it all changed for, yeah, for, for the worse. For the worse. 
Yeah. I mean, Jefferson and Hamilton had their early battles. I mean, you can make a strong argument that Hamilton completely corrupted America almost yeah. out of the gate. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, here's a republic if you can keep it. But yeah, no, I think if you're viewing America and trying to use the analogy of an organism, like it is susceptible to entropy. And yep. um, it launched in 1776, declared independence in 1776. We signed a constitution a few years later. Um, and then from that point on, you just have this system that has fallen prey to entropy over time, like slowly but surely the the ideals of liberty were eroded away just via the slow but consistent centralization of the federal government and the growth of the federal government. It's just, I think, natural. And I mean, <laughs> Madax, our, our good artist friend here, I mean, he has... He is uh, based. He has this piece of art and says the tree of liberty uh, is refreshed by the blood of tyrants. Uh, and I mean, this is what the founding fathers believed. And I believe that to be true today too, uh, though I would say I don't think it needs to be blood bloody. Like I think that's actually uh, it's coming from the optimistic angle too. Like I really do not wish any of this. Like I am a peaceful person. I'm anti-war. I do not, I've never hurt anybody. I've never like haven't been in a fight since I was like 13 <laughs> uh, unless it was with my brother, but that's different. Um, and like, I do not want com physical conflict at all. And I do think that's the beauty of the particular point in time we live in now with this communications technology, with independent media, with open source software, we have the ability um, to water the tree of Liberty without shedding blood, um, which is extremely optimistic. And that's, the uh, really disconcerting part of all of this is that like, if blood is going to be spilled, it's the government that's going to be forcing the issue. They're going to be coming to your house with guns and saying, you can't run your full node. Um, they're going to be saying, you can't eat the steak because we have the CBDC now or something. You, know, you're, uh, you ate your red meat for the week. Yeah, your gas past the limit. Your gasoline engine. Uh, you can't be using that anymore. Like If you don't stop using it, we're going to put our guns to your temple and put you in cuffs and put you in a cage. And so that's the government at the end of the day is the one um, inciting uh, the physical violence. And that's anybody in government who may be listening to this, uh, like we don't have, like, please don't like make it go down that road. Like just we have, let us fix the problems um, ourselves and stop preventing us from um, saving ourselves. Cause the government created this problem with all this debt, all this money printing, uh, all this terrible policy and energy and food uh, and foreign policy that has negatively affected American citizens. Like, please just stop harming us and let us help ourselves. Like, we're not asking you to help us. Just let us help ourselves. Wow. Well, I don't know about you, but this episode is making me a little peckish. And you know what sounds good? Some beef liver crisps from our sponsor, Nose to Delta Visions, who provide 100% grass-fed and finished wild game animal products sourced from America. Their completely microplastic-free products are absolutely delicious and great if you need something in a pinch or just love a good snack. Each product is packed with the most nutrition possible. I love their new viral dust bison liver seasoning. And with code Tristan10, you'll be saving 10% on every bit of your order as well as supporting our show. But that's probably not going to happen, right? I mean, <laughs> usually everyone goes down with a fight in some regard. but And that's, that's the scary part. But also, 
you know, and if you think about what you said earlier, if they start attacking, you know, self-custodial wallets and things like that, is like, are we ready to really fight this fight from a, you know, technology perspective? Like, are we even far enough along? Yeah, obviously, you know, Lightning Network is up, has, you know, a lot of great features, but there's still a lot of room to go. Noster is very, you know, in its infancy. You know, how much time do we need, Marty? I think we're in a good spot, actually. I mean, yes, you can try and, uh, quote unquote, ban open source software, but the the files are out there. Yeah. And there are ways to distribute the files uh, in a distributed censorship resistant fashion exists. You can use BitTorrent, you can use Noster, you can use other distributed networks. Like, I think the cat's out of the bag. And again, it's just like, if cat's out of the bag, hey, this is the ball's in your court now. Like, do you want to prevent us from using this stuff or do you want to force the issue? Um, because at the end, like you're going to be able to find the files to download a Bitcoin wallet to receive Bitcoin. People will learn how to use alternative uh, message relay systems, whether it's mesh networks or Tor or whatever it may be to um, send out yeah. an address. Start nine servers. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is to get an address uh, to somebody that needs to send you Bitcoin. They'll learn how to do that in a way where uh, it's hard to track that they send it. I mean, we've seen this time and time again where the government tries to introduce prohibition, whether it's alcohol, marijuana, drugs, whatever it may be. Like some of the largest markets in the world, mm-hmm. they're, they're illegal or up until recently were, were illegal as it pertains to marijuana specifically. Yeah. It's never hard to find weed in college. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I think the ball's already gotten started and the momentum is, is way too strong. Yeah. But it's a common criticism, right? And it's it's a good point of discussion for us in general to understand that we do have a lot of work to do, but you know, these are very usable the primitive networks are strong. now. Yeah, the, the, the foundation strong. is is pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's just going to be weird, you know, this transition for me, I don't know, I'm kind of weird. I think it's like exciting. I don't know. I'd rather it's live here than any other time um, in history. So I'm excited to be alive, be here and be a part of the movement. But for a lot of folks, it's uncomfortable. The doomer mindset is, is very common, especially in the health space. I don't know. So I talk to people and they're like, yeah, you know, on this trajectory, like if things don't radically change in the next 10 to 30 years, know the next two generations might not you know we're talking like people are gonna die earlier and earlier and earlier unless we fix that but then they don't all have the a bitcoin lens to it i mean some of them own bitcoin now they don't really have that lens fully and it's like yeah but if we fix the money we can fix everything else yeah and that too like you just have to have faith number one in god and and god has a plan and does want us to succeed and will ensure that we do uh, inevitably and then number two just just use human like humans are extremely adaptable and um when shit hits the fan when push comes to shove we adapt and yes the trajectory right now particularly in health is not looking good but something will happen where um things correct and revert back to the mean i think yeah and if the money is there like the biggest problem is all the institutions are captured from academia from scientific research from you know the recommendations the mandates so if you can get outside of these systems and then we have money to fund what we think matters and build technology and solutions in the way we think is better 
then that's all you need. Yeah. But yeah. 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 These people are, it's like, it's the Philly in me maybe. It's like the, no bullshit. Like it, it literally enrages me. These people are, it, it boggles my mind that anybody takes the politicians or central banks or bankers seriously these days. They are like the worst criminals potentially the world has ever seen. Um, they loot, they steal, they get away with murder a lot of times. Clinton kill list is pretty long. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything that would put an individual citizen uh, locked away for years and forever, yeah. they do pretty regularly. Yeah, but there's something socially. Maybe I am naive. Maybe I am too optimistic. Maybe I am too much of an idealist to think that there is a way to do this where it's just, and that's one thing I learned, like coaching sports, like it's instilling confidence. And that's what yeah. we're going to yeah. win. Like, that's why I always say it. it's not like a cocky, um, uh, it's not a cocky, naive, like assertion that uh, victory is inevitable. It's a mindset. You got to have a winner's mindset that you can overcome uh, this massive. Uh, you can overcome like these massive problems that we face. Uh, it is a David versus Goliath. We are David. The state, the banking apparatus is Goliath. Um, when I say we're going to win, it's not like a cocky assertion of inevitable victory. It's like having a winner's mindset. It's like, you can't win if you don't believe you can win. And that's like something that I'm really passionate about right now is instilling that confidence in people. Like you can get out of this. You do have the tools. You do have the ability to fight back against this in a peaceful way. Hopefully it's peaceful. Um, and you like, you can win. And once you have that realization, it's all mental, sort of framework where like you can't win unless you believe you can win. So you have to believe you can win first and then we get moving from there. And then you get to the point of like, all right, we're going to win. I mean, visualization, manifestation, whatever you want to call it, it's real. I mean, you could have even argue that it's scientifically proven from a quantum physics pers perspective that you attract what you put out there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's almost like we need to win for the good of humanity. And I love it. I mean, I think that mindset is so important. The mindset is everything from healing to just getting out of the situation you're in. Every, anybody can improve the situation that they're currently in. There's, that's available to you. This isn't, you know, at least in the United States, for sure. You know, maybe in some third world countries, it's a lot, a lot harder or even could be impossible. But here we have the luxury of the internet. I mean, you can make a way to pave a path for yourself to get out and move somewhere else or get a job. You know, you could just work for yourself, learn a skill on YouTube for six months and then be a freelancer. You can do so many things to get out of the system that's corrupting us. Yeah. And one thing we have here in America is the second amendment. And again, I'm like a gun toting, like rah, rah, like that's, I'm building up an arsenal to like fight the government, but like history has shown like you mentioned the third world countries and their inability to fight back. It's because they got their guns taken away. They have no leverage. It's yeah. very easy for these governments to swoop in and control them. And that's something here in the United States, which is actually extremely bullish on and makes me very optimistic is the last couple of years, like gun rights have been absolutely wiping the floor. It's becoming a, like the... Yeah, that's where I get... It's so interesting, right? Because it's like we are winning in some of these facets. And you think if like... 
I don't know if you share the perspective that the left and the right in politics, they're all kind of the same. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's a uniparty. Yeah. But then, you know, it's like, well, sometimes on the right, it's like they're allowing these laws to happen, but it's really the state level. It comes back to the states. And um, yeah, I don't, I like to see the U.S. government try and take everyone's guns in Texas and Wyoming and places like that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. There's no chance. There's literally no chance. No. That's the other thing. I mean, you go back to like power projection. Like the government projects all this power and people are afraid of them because they have the military and all that force. And like Biden came out, you're not going to shoot down an F-15 with an AR-15 and Taliban completely runs the U.S. military out of Kabul. Um, what is what's the stat? American gun owners own something like four hundred million guns. Like there's one, it's a lot. Yeah. One point two guns per person in the country. Like it far surpasses the amount of guns that the U.S. military has. The first day of hunting season in Pennsylvania, there's more hunters in the woods, and there are uh, armed service members in all the military branches in the U.S. Like we have, uh, and again, like I'm not saying we should go like. This is, we don't want this to happen. No. no. I don't want to enact that that collective. No, well, that's the thing. No. and But it is that, going back to Bitcoin, like the sovereign individual thesis is that asymmetric leverage and asymmetric uh, defense against power projection, um, which gun rights give individual citizens in America immense asymmetric defense. Yeah, 100%. What are you most excited about like in this upcoming bull run in terms of what it could bring to the table in terms of adoption, other nation states or kind of bringing in the institutions? What are you most excited about? Uh, could be anything, by the way. The institutions, like, I hope they stay on the sidelines as long as possible. I'm most excited just because I've been in the mining industry for so long and I've been really fascinated about this particularly over the last five years like the intersection of bitcoin mining and the energy sector like it's becoming pretty clear to me that that's happening uh in earnest and we'll, that trend will continue to accelerate and um it's something that's just extremely fascinating is bitcoin mining fitting into the operational stack of energy producers whether it's upstream downstream off-grid um like i, I think that's going to be extremely beneficial for humanity for energy systems overall and that leads to some pretty sci-fi shit and it sets the foundations for some pretty sci-fi shit uh, by enabling abundant in terms of just innovation in energy or that like i think it leads to a point where it's completely noticeable that we can be as energy efficient as we choose to be via bitcoin mining which enables us to bring forth the abundant energy future that we deserve whether that's spinning up more Nuclear power yeah, plants, yeah. Uh, coal generation power plants, natural gas power plants. Um, I think Bitcoin mining will be like a pivotal part of realizing that energy abundance. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, we were talking about that earlier with Jimmy. He was talking a lot about nuclear. He's like, we could have nuclear powered everything if we just like actually decided to fund, you know, that sort of technology and innovation. But it's uh that's been dead since the 70s and yeah that's why thanks government yeah yeah well it's crazy because people always think oh the technology is just so innovative and it hasn't really at all we have like the same things basically and they're all as jimmy said very inward facing they're all directed at just capturing our attention not really solving uh problems in a society and 
Yeah, the nuclear stuff's it's fascinating. It's kind of a weird one, though, with how regulated it can be. But I think, again, if we, the Bitcoiners, kind of push that envelope and have the resources and then the proof of concept, I forget the one guy you talked to, but those costs will come down like tremendously over time. Yeah. From the lending perspective and raising capital and then Bitcoiners can be the ones that, you know, decide those markets. It's just like taking out a Bitcoin backed loan being, you know, a lot higher risk currently, even though it's a way harder asset than real estate or something else. Yeah. It's much better collateral. Yeah. Yeah. I think the energy story is something I'm looking forward to. Again, it's not necessarily like a, a Bitcoin bull market directly connected to Bitcoin, but like I do think that just continues to accelerate it. I think that, well, I think that if the Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin's going to pump as hard as I think it's going to pump because things are going to be falling apart in parallel and the incumbent system and um, trying to be careful with the words. They don't want the world to devolve into chaos, but like I do think it will be massively beneficial in the long run for us to again rip the band-aid off and I think it's going to be abundantly clear uh, that the sovereign debt situation here in the United States and globally is untenable, uh, unmanageable, and um, that will really wake people up to, like, we need a solution. This is a problem that we can't fix. That will naturally lead people to Bitcoin. Yeah. Are you in the camp that we still have these four-year cycles kind of after this run, that they're even cycles and not just completely tethered to the uh, injection of money supply? At a certain point, they just, it doesn't even matter. No, I think this is contrarian and people think I'm naive, but I think, I don't think, from what I've seen behind the scenes, particularly in the 1031 side of things, like the conversations we've been having yeah. with the type of uh, people with a lot of capital um, and know-how, particularly in the world of finance, uh, I don't think it, it goes back. And then you have, on top of that, you have nation states getting into the mining game, Russia's mining, El Salvador's mining, King of Bhutan's mining, Oman's mining, like China definitely mining still obviously we're mining here in the united states at the private sector level that's going to accelerate and i i think 15 years in like people have like bitcoin brand is strong and then just naturally billions of people literally have had so many touch points with bitcoin that i find it hard to believe that like if we run up to mid six figures that people aren't going to believe like, oh, this is a thing that's here to stay. This isn't just a fad tulip craze. Um, and I think it's going to, on top of that, like I think it's going to be essential to actually facilitate economic transactions and trade and be used as a collateral instrument as yeah. the sovereign debt crisis is unfolding. Like people are going to need better forms of collateral and liquid reserves and Bitcoin's the optimal form of collateral and liquid reserve. Um, and it'll be forced into people's hands because they won't have any other option and their hand will be forced. Like, all right, I need good collateral. I need good liquid reserves and Bitcoin's going to be right there. And they're, they're going to have to use it because what they've been used to using treasuries uh, predominantly are not going to be what they were in the past. Yeah, I think it's valid. I think having havings, they're less impactful, obviously, as you go forward. I mean, we're almost, what, at 20 million? in circulation anyway so yeah. and that might yeah 
it's not even the sole driving factor has been in the past. So yeah, I think it's real. I think, I don't know. Anyone who doesn't have Bitcoin listening to this, the next six to 12 months, I think are pivotal. I mean, at this point, there's probably nothing more important to do than stack sats. Yeah. Start a family. Um, That's also very important, but. Be good to people. We need more, because talk gets heavy. And even in my mind, I'm like, fuck, should I have said some of this stuff? I think it's important if I'm going to eat my own dog food and actually like walk the walk of saying, like, oh, people need to speak up. You need to speak up, have these hard conversations, and then show compassion to people and try to be civil and recognize, again, going back to like, uh, the government, the media, uh, they, their tactics are seeped in fear and division and recognize, again, recognize that you're intentionally being driven to the state of fear and uh, the propaganda is intentionally creating a us versus them framework of argumentation and just don't play into it. Like realize, like you said, like, 80, I would even say like 90, 95, pr- probably 99% of people want the same thing, which is just like to be able to wake up, go work hard, come back, enjoy their time with their family, have some leisure time, go on a vacation or two a year, um, save up for retirement and live a good life and just go about their merry way. Um, all the fear and division sowed by the government and the media uh, is completely counterproductive. And the way to combat that is just to be civil in your day-to-day interactions with others and not, not fall prey to their divisive tactics, you know. Something I asked Jimmy as well was, do you think all of this has been done by design <laughs> or it's just like 1913, oh, well, it was set up how it was, you know, in 1776 and then 1913 happened. Obviously that was on purpose by, you know, the, the creatures of Jekyll Island. Um, but... 1971 happened as a result of a lot of things. And then since then, it's just kind of been this acceleration. So, yeah, like, I don't think, I don't know. This is a combination of both. Like obviously yeah. like agenda 2030 exists. Um, there are people who have intentions like cop 26, whatever they're meeting over in, um, I forgot. I think they might be in Saudi Arabia. I don't know where they're doing that, but, um, we're no, I think that's in the UAE. Like they have plans, they want to transition to this net zero. Like they plan that, but I think uh, overarchingly, like it's just a, a an incentives design, the results of incentives design, um, which is complex. Like I don't think there was an exact plan to get to this point, but I think uh, the incentive structure created this complex system that led us to this point. Maybe uh, there was somebody who was wise enough to play the. 8D chess to realize that this incentive structure would lead us to this point and give certain people control over others, but uh, maybe not. Who knows? I think it's like each generation had their play in the game, and then that this has all just been a byproduct of that, like accumulating yeah. over decades. Compounding. Compounding, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, again, I go back and forth in this, like, does it really even matter if they have a plan? Um, if they do, you should have another plan. Yeah, it doesn't change. That's why uh, some of these conspiracy theories drive me nuts that, again, it's like the Doomer conspiracy theory mindset of like, whatever, you know, there's lizard people, they're drinking, you know, a child's blood. I'm like, does that really change anything I'm doing? No. Like, the best thing you can do is 
you know, buy Bitcoin, become sovereign in, in money and wealth, and then get your health in shape, and then you're where you source income from as well. And yeah, um, just be outside the system. Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. And uh, learn some skills that are useful, maybe like uh, get a homestead, buy some guns, learn how to shoot it, like learn how to hunt if you're worried that the food's going to be gone and can't eat meat move somewhere else just create strong communities too great and then that yeah and that's the last thing i wanted to ask maybe is, is talking about communities because that's really important and just being in austin here i'm very anti-city at this point just from the sanity health perspective and i love being in nature but it's so strong here it's really been amazing this week and it's only halfway over um yeah it's just like creating citadels i think is ah, that's a corny word i don't really like that word <laughs> Now that I just said it, but yeah, communities are strong. So how do you think is the best way to, you know, elevate your community and maybe it's your family and loved ones as well, bringing them on our side on, you know, convincing them because it can be really challenging. Even some of your best friends, my best friends, it's like, you know, the, I wrote a book on Bitcoin. I've been talking about Bitcoin for six years to my parents and it's fucking hard to bring people over sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I just anchor back to what like, I like to think that I have a strong family and I politically and um, I don't agree with everything um, everyone in my family does and they don't agree with me, but we love each other. Then anchor back to that, like, what can you do? And one thing I've taken from what we did as a family growing up, we were very strong, extended family. My mom was the youngest of eight, got 26 cousins. We're all essentially brothers and sisters. Now we have kids and we go to the shore when we go um, to the shore in the summer. And it's like me, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, uh, now their grandparents. So it's like them, us, our kids, and we're all in the circle at the beach together. And that We do that every day in the summer. Um, particularly in the weekends, it's usually the wives and the kids during the week and then the dads will come down the shore uh, after work on Friday and do that Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then here from my nuclear family, for my wife and my kids, um, we host Sunday dinners. We have friends, um, family over when they're in town. That's great. Uh, just creating those sort of communal uh, traditions, like weekly traditions of like, hey, Sunday, open house, come over for dinner. And beyond that, extending outside of your house, just talk to your neighbors. Like it's one thing I get a lot of joy out of is we have really good relationships with our neighbors. We're not like walking out of the house. If we see our neighbor, we're not just like shuffling into the car. We'll stop and say hi and have a conversation. Small things like that. Those things are so important. And it's weird when you go to a place where those like don't exist or people are just like rude, like walking or not saying hi or hello neighborly. It's like so easy if you just go out of your way to do these little things. And yeah, the I think that's something the Northeast, although we have a very aggressive um, personality overall in the Northeast, it's uh, the family and community is, is pretty damn strong. And that's why, like we were saying pre-show, people don't leave very often. <laughs> no, no uh, Philadelphia is like the Shire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you born there, you stay there. And it's fun. It's a great place. Like, I don't want to... Obviously, uh, the city has devolved somewhat politically and crime and mm-hmm. drug usage has run rampant. That's been a problem since I was born in Philly. Like in the it's night. like it was a problem. They cleaned it up a little and then someone yeah. else fucked it up and now it's a problem again. And, you know, social media makes it seem like Kensington is the entire Philadelphia. Yeah, Kensington, yeah. like, I grew it's up. not the case. I grew up in Frankfurt, which is yeah, the right. town right next to Kensington. I wasn't allowed to ride my bike there growing yeah. up, but I 
used to go down under the Frankfurt Elbow with my grandmother a lot. And she, I forget what she had to do, like send mail or checks somewhere under the Frankfurt L. And it was that bad back then too. Um, but like you said, like, yeah, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, cleaned it up. City got gentrified. A bunch of people moved in. It seems like we're reverting to what it was in the 90s. Um, and I do have hope that Philadelphia is pretty lindy at this point. Um, I, I think it will be fine in the long run. Obviously, there are things the city needs to clean up, but um, that culture uh, is still very strong. Um, and I don't, I don't see it going away anytime soon. Yeah, I, I, the core is there, I think, for sure. It's it's actually a great thing because other cities, they don't have... I think a big problem in America and a lot of... You actually talked about with John um, from ZapRite is culture has just been taken over by people. And something that's really strong with Jersey and Philly is that, you know, that culture has stayed there. And it's not this, like, random allotment of people. And something Texas holds really well. Like if you move here, you usually like embrace the culture and the viewpoints and it's underrated yeah. in terms of importance. Yeah. It is. Nobody get back to it. I was like, I really need to get bad at this, better at this. I'm terrible with it now. I'm addicted to social media screen. <laughs> I'm bad. Um, it's that's, designed to be addi- addicting. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah. Um, but no, I'd, I'd like that something like personal improvement for me is I'd like to get like a Faraday box, like have like a phone box where it's like when I come in the house, just throw it in there. Um, especially with young kids now. Like I'd, well, like, you, nothing you, makes me feel guiltier than looking up from my phone and looking at my kid like, how long have you been sitting here looking at me? And it's like, what the fuck? I'm a little I'm a piece of shit. Um, but that, so yeah, it's something like that too, going back to like what you can do um, most immediately. Uh, that's one thing that I can do better. I'm cognizant of it, and I, I have gotten better than I, I was during the COVID lockdown. Um, it's tough, man, especially we do use social media in a beneficial way, obviously, more beneficial than doom scrollers. Um, but, and that's where I've met a lot of these great people that I'm talking to this week and connecting with. But yeah, it sucks you in, and especially you have a family and people you want to be really present with. But yeah, if you have any questions about EMFs, I'm happy to answer. Yeah. Well, that's the best part about the shore. Is like, oh, yeah. You once just, you're at the shore, you're on the beach, your phone is in the... the forget kid, about it. Your phone's in the kid's stroller, and you're completely present. And everybody's present. I love the force, nature, force. Like I'm just looking for any excuse. I'm like, yeah, let's go camping for two, three days and throw my phone in the car and just like forget about it yeah. um bring let's bring back cameras that are separate from phones I think that'd be a good idea as well but amazing i appreciate your time man it's been fun um if i'm ever back in jersey shore and you're there as well maybe we can connect but i haven't yeah. been back in probably a year and a half gotta come, gotta come like uh mid-august early september yeah. hurricane season we'll go surfing yeah, water's nice and warm. Mm-hmm. I went July 4th was the last time I was in Seattle City, and I will say I'm never going there again. <laughs> July 4th. It was, oh, I, there's nobody, you can't, couldn't even get on the beach. You can't park on the island. Yeah, uh, it was, it was not worth it. But it's a fun place. I mean, I love the, I love the shore. No yeah, matter what. Sea Isle is best uh, at the beginning of June and the end of August. Sounds like a plan. Well, you got a podcast, you got a couple podcasts, you got a lot going on. If, people aren't familiar with where they can find you and everything you're working on is there anything new coming through the pipe nothing new that you want to mention 
go to the website, become a member of our website, tftc.io. You can follow me on Twitter at Marty Bent. Um, managing partner at 1031. So like we're trying to put capital. It's one thing we recognized is there's a lot of money being thrown at the crypto space to the tune of billions of dollars where Bitcoin was getting tens of millions, uh, the industry around Bitcoin. So that's one thing we're looking to fix and are doing a good job of, and others are as well at 1031, uh, is to get more capital uh, to the companies building out the infrastructure that will allow us to utilize Bitcoin uh, as best as we can. Um, so if you're looking to see a couple of companies that we invest in, go to 1031.bc. I mean, you mentioned one earlier, Start9. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very excited. Talk to Matt Hill. He's amazing. Yeah, Matt Hill's him and his team are one of the best in the space and that's an example of something at 1031 that we're really excited to focus on Bitcoin but Freedom Tech and Start9 Start OS is a perfect example of like Freedom Tech that we'd like to see in the world and um, I think has an incredible chance of being uh, extremely successful love it well thanks so much for having me here in the studio I feel like professional now (laughs) Appreciate it. And yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you.